This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And for decades, dengue has been endemic in Malaysia and continues to remain an ever-present threat all year long. But is it a threat that many of us still take seriously? So today I'm checking in with Associate Professor Dr. Sharifa Farida Said Omar, Infectious Diseases Physician with University Malaya Medical Centre, to check in on how we can ramp up public health measures to prevent surges in dengue cases, especially now as we are see as we are sort of in the middle of the monsoon season um and there is the concern over a rise in cases thank you so much for joining me today dr sharifa Thank you for inviting me. Now, dengue, as I mentioned, is endemic in Malaysia. And while we have seen, you know, over the years, reports of dengue cases going down um, every now and again, you know, especially during the early months of lockdown, we are also again seeing reports of surges in cases, you know, in across Malaysia, in different states, different districts. What do we know now of the incidence of dengue in our population? So um, Malaysia is endemic for, for dengue, meaning that it's always there. But on top of that, we are also hyper-endemic for dengue, meaning that you know the numbers are not just there constantly, but the numbers are usually very, very high. And it affects all age groups as well. So the reason for this is, is manifold. First and foremost, you know, Malaysia, our climate, our country is just um, an ideal place for the, the vector, which is Aedes mosquito, to breed. And therefore, it continuously uh, causes transmission of, of the dengue virus. And on top of that, um, the dengue illness itself is, is very complex. The virus is very complex. It has different serotypes. Uh, it has four serotypes known to man. And, and theoretically, you know, if you get infected with that one serotype, you only get protected. Uh, against that particular serotype. And after a couple of months, you're suddenly exposed to the other three serotypes. And the other thing about dengue is that each time you get infected, um, it, it, it causes a more severe disease. Um, so therefore, you know, it has a big burden, not just in terms of the numbers, but also in terms of uh, causing illness. So for example, um, you rightly said that every couple of years, we get cycles of, of dengue infections where the number surges from time to time. And um, we, um, we get, this year alone, we get about more than a thousand cases every week. And uh, with that comes an increase in the number of deaths as well. Uh, which is quite devastating, uh, especially for us and, and also for family members. So um, dengue outbreaks is becoming a norm, especially since the early 2010s and, and onwards. And we used to see cycles every four to five years, but I sometimes feel that the cycles are getting more shorter and, and more frequent and the numbers are going up as well. So that, that there's many, many reasons for that. But the one thing is that the, the more numbers you get, the more cases you get, and obviously that's going to put put a big burden, not just economically, but also on, on the healthcare system. Mm. Let's talk about that a little bit, right? The burden on the healthcare system. You mentioned that we see about a thousand cases every week. How does that impact the running of healthcare systems like UMMC, for example? Because this is going to affect how um, healthcare workers, how hospitals are able to treat other existing diseases as well, right? Exactly, yeah. So, you know, researchers have, have tried to calculate this in terms of monetary terms. Um, and it as, is estimated up to 200 million is spent just on dengue illness itself. 
we're not even talking about the cost for prevention, for surveillance, and probably the, the long-term consequences of dengue, and that will probably double the, the, the cost. But we are also talking about um, the, the burden on, on our hospitals. You know, we saw how COVID really stretched our services. And even before COVID, we've, we've had those times where, you know, you get a surge of cases and we're scrambling for beds and, and so on. So... I mean, just like COVID, not everyone needs admission. So there's a lot of strategies that needs to be placed uh, to be in place so that we, we don't overstretch our, our hospital beds as well. Mm. And perhaps could you also give a brief refresher on how dengue fever presents in individuals and, and why in severe cases that could lead to um, you know, hospitals being overstretched and overcapacity? Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I put dengue into a category of acute febrile illnesses, meaning that patients often present with a sudden onset of high fever and they become unwell. But only about a quarter of patients actually have symptoms, maybe about half, I mean, a quarter will have symptoms requiring medical attention. Some may have very mild fever that they don't even know that they had dengue. Mm. And typically this fever will occur between two to seven days after they get bitten by the mosquito. So incubation period is not very long. And if it does happen, the fever will probably only last for about a week maximum. But it typically, it's about four or five days. Um, we also call it an acute undifferentiated illness or fever uh, because the, the symptoms are very vague. There's nothing specific about it. People talk about oh, you, you have a rash, you get bleeding, then you know it's dengue. But not everyone gets that, especially not at the very beginning. So more typically, uh, we call it a systemic illness, meaning that it affects the whole body. So people with dengue would say that I have fever, I felt really unwell, aches and pains everywhere in my joints, in my muscle, headache. Uh, some say more, more dengue people get uh, pain behind their eyes but at the same time the appetite goes so they have a lot of nausea vomiting they don't want to eat uh, they can only drink and some may even have quite a bad quite bad diarrhea for a couple of days so it's very very non-specific a few may say oh I get some I've got some gum bleeding or nose bleeding then that puts you you know a little bit more suspicious that this could be dengue but not not typical for everyone to get those things. And that would make it all the more important that if anything is wrong, they should see a GP at least, right, to make sure that dengue can be ruled out before it progresses into anything worse. Definitely. I mean, basically, at the end of the day, if you're unwell, after especially after two to three days, you should go and see a doctor. Um, even doctors, we try to emphasize this as well because um, you know we always try to get the GPs especially to be alert especially during dengue season that if you have someone with fever don't dismiss dengue uh, you know look hard for it if you have the ability to to do a, a bedside test test for dengue and so on. Do you think that Malaysians take dengue seriously, considering that, you know, this is um, endemic or hyper-endemic, like you say, we are so used to all the public health messaging. Sometimes, you know, it might even go over our heads. Is this something that you still see people taking seriously? So it's it's very variable, I think, especially in areas where, you know, dengue is quite common. The knowledge is there. Uh, we know what it is. We've heard it before. Uh, we know how it's transmitted, what causes it. And, and to some extent, we also know the symptoms. But but whether we actually, um, you know, 
take that in and apply it to ourselves. For example, you know, you know that you can get a fever and all that, but until you see your nose bleeding, you won't think it's dengue, you know? So that's the misconception or misperception that we don't want people to have. So whether they take it seriously or not, um, it's hard to tell. I mean, when there's a lot of cases, especially when you have someone close to you who suffered from it, i.e., they had a very long hospitalization, they had to go to ICU, they were very sick with it, or even if they died, then I feel that that's when they take it seriously. Uh, but, you know, otherwise, I think the majority don't really take it that seriously, um, maybe because they don't think they would ever get it or or they did get it, but it didn't really cause much problems and, and therefore dismissed it. Um, so, you know, the knowledge is there, the information is there, how much it's being um, taken in by the public, that's, that's the question. Because from their behaviour, it doesn't look like they take it that seriously, uh, especially in terms of trying to prevent the dengue mm. infection or transmission. Mm. I think from speaking from personal experience, um, in my own neighbourhood, for example, I've seen um, the neighbourhood ten tending to be a bit more reactive. Sometimes, you know, you hear of someone in the neighbourhood who um, has been diagnosed with dengue fever and then suddenly you'll see the people coming in with the fogging machines and, and trying to, you know, eradicate the mosquitoes. But by then it might already be a bit too late, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and you always hear, I mean, as doctors, when you see patients and we say, oh, I think you have dengue and confirm it. And then the first thing they'll say is like, oh, yeah, my neighbor on the other side has a pond and I see that they haven't actually cleaned it. But when you ask them about their own house, they are like completely indifferent about it and don't think that it's actually probably coming from their own house. So it's always someone else. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm speaking today to Associate Professor Dr. Sharifa Farida Said Omar, Infectious Diseases Physician at University Malaya Medical Centre on dengue and how we can strengthen public health measures as we see surges in dengue cases. We'll be back after a quick break on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. On the show with me today is Infectious Diseases Physician, Associate Professor Dr. Sharifa Farida Said Omar from University Malaya Medical Center, and we are talking about dengue today. Now, as Dr. Sharifa mentioned before the break, dengue is not just endemic, but hyper-endemic in Malaysia. And we and we have been seeing surges in dengue cases in some parts of the country recently. So, Dr. Sharifa, if we could now turn to um, what increases the risk of dengue transmission, right? We are seeing a lot more erratic weather these days. We are also in the middle of the monsoon season at the moment. How might that impact the transmission of dengue, especially in densely populated urban areas? So um, this this relationship between dengue, the, the virus, um, the mosquito and climate is, is quite a complex one as well. I mean, we always hear about when there's a monsoon season, high rainfall, you get more cases, which mm -hmm. is true. And it's multifactorial, mainly because, you know, with the rainfall, more water stagnant um, causes more breeding sites. And, you know, you always see that advertisement of, you know, a, a mosquito breeding in, in a teaspoon or tablespoon of water. So they don't need much water at all. So imagine if you have a rainfall of during monsoon season, it's like a breeding feast for them. Um, but at the same time, we should also remember that even during high, um, uh, you know, during high temperatures, 
that can also affect the transmission and breeding of, of Aedes mosquitoes as well. So the, the mosquitoes tend to have uh, accelerated um, uh, growth, if you like. Uh, they also breed uh, more as well. And at the same time, the, the virus itself, the incubation period becomes shorter as well. And, and also remember that, you know, during a, a, a nice sunny season, people tend to go out a little bit more. Therefore, you know, chances of them getting bitten by mosquitoes is also higher. Just very, very multifactorial, but there's no doubt that there is a relationship between climate changes, uh, especially when it's erratic, and also the the, the pattern of uh, Aedes mosquito breeding and also uh, the transmission of the virus itself. Mm. So then, you know, if we are now seeing more erratic weather due to climate change, both in terms of very hot temperatures as well as a lot of, you know, sudden rainfall, both of that could increase the risk of dengue transmission. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. What are some of the other factors that you would consider to increase the risk of uh, a dengue outbreak in a particular area? So, um we know dengue is usually in urban and suburban areas. And there's a reason for that. It's basically because of how we have planned our housing areas, our working area, and so on. So, you know, being close together, being highly dense population, um, just, just helps to create more breeding sites for, for the virus. That's number one. And number two, because we are living in such close quarters. So, you know, a, a mosquito just needs to come into one house and, and bites Exactly, they don't have to fly very far to get their victims. And as you can imagine, um, uh, more people will get infected with that. So our living condition, how we live in dense population and also the, um, you know, how clean our areas are is, is definitely a major factor to increase transmission of uh, dengue. Mm. So then from a physician's perspective, when we do see influxes of severe dengue patients, right, what are your concerns in terms of treating them and ensuring that, you know, we are able to do the best that we can to alleviate the symptoms that these patients are facing, considering that, you know, we don't have a cure or a specific treatment for dengue? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the biggest frustration or one of the biggest frustration for a physician is that, I don't know. I can't treat them. I don't have a specific antiviral for them. And actually, that's quite common for most viruses. Most of them are self-limiting. You know, your body just, just gets rid of it and you just have to support the patient while they're going through that. Um, so to date, there's still no antivirals, any good antiviral for, for dengue. And then on top of that, um, but we have learned a lot of things as, as physicians. We've learned, you know, who are at risk of getting more severe disease, what are the signs and symptoms to suggest that someone might progress into more severe disease. So we've improved um, the management of dengue patients in terms of just, not just supporting them, giving them a drip and that's it, right? Uh, there's a lot of studies to say, uh, you know, how to pick out patients who may be at risk of developing more severe disease, who are the patients that we need to be a bit more aware about and, and you know, better uh, tools for us to pick up dengue cases as well. So, you know, 10, 20 years ago, when I when I first started doing infectious disease, um, 
the, the first thing that you, you have to really use your just your clinical skills, that's all. And as I mentioned before, the, the signs and symptoms are very non-specific. So that was really, really tough, you know. So you just had to have that low suspicion, uh, index of suspicion that this could be dengue, especially during the seasons, and then just really look hard whether it's dengue or not. So we have to make more physicians be aware of this. And then, but now we have better diagnostics. So that, that helps a lot. So now even um, GP practices, they have better confidence to see whether this is dengue or not. And, and the tests are more affordable as well. So uh, some may have heard about the dengue uh, combo test. Um, so it, it helps us to detect dengue and gives us a bit more confidence that this is dengue. We've, we've identified factors. So the usual things, um, the elderly, the very, very young, those who have other medical problems like diabetes, hypertension, heart disease. So these are the ones who may be at risk of developing more severe disease. So even though the number of cases have gone up, right? Uh, but the number of people who die from dengue has not gone up in, in the same proportion. So that's that's reassuring. It tells us that, um, hopefully it tells us that, you know, that it's not that the disease is less severe, but we are managing them better. So we, we help them to go through the disease, uh, not develop any complications and survive the disease as well. Mm. And more cases could also mean that we're better at picking picking them up, and so it's it's better overall because then we can identify hotspots. We can yeah. you know that helps in research. And and from what I understand, the role of primary care is very it's particularly vital in this because you want them to be that front line of defense when it comes to picking up these cases. Exactly, absolutely correct. I mean, primary care in a lot of diseases they are absolutely vital and and to have someone who has that clinical because primary care usually they really depend on their clinical skills you know mm -hmm. you have lots and lots of patients you can't do all sorts of tests under the sun for every single patient so that clinical skill is very very important and, and having that touch of picking up the cases that's probably going to be dengue and other diseases Mm. All right. Let's talk about some of the things that we can improve or I guess strengthen when it comes to prevention, right? Because when it comes to infectious diseases, prevention is always key. Um, if we first look at uh, at uh, public health messaging, Dr. Sharifa, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people are very familiar with. Um, from the moment you enter school, you are taught about how to prevent dengue. Is that is that something that you think we've done well or is there other aspects that you think we can improve as we move on? I think there's a shift on how we do public messaging nowadays. So I think in the past it used to be, you know, what the boss says, I think we should do videos, I think we should do posters and then somebody just churns it out, right? Uh, but I think nowadays we are more aware that not all messaging works and you know, there's more and more research out there to say uh, how messaging should be done, what has impact, what doesn't have impact. I mean, I'm just going back to COVID, you know, we had like a, a huge amount of information out there and there are already a lot of papers coming out to say what actually worked, what didn't work and, and which population you should be targeting. So I think we should do better in all our public health messaging, especially when it comes to infectious disease stuff for me, um, you, you shouldn't just be blasting out uh, information, but it has to be targeted. Um, the, the content, you need to evaluate your content as well, whether it's appropriate or not. You know, you know a nice example is um, every time I pass through this 
particular traffic light at my area, there's a big billboard with with a man uh, from the mortuary with a you know those tags on on his toes, and I'm like, okay, you know, and it says like dengue in your area, and yes, maybe the first few times it may have an impact, but after a while, you know, it's just like your your pictures of all these cancers on your cigarette boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, after a while, it may have an impact, but there has to be a variety of, of what you do and, and really trying to evaluate what works, what doesn't work. And also the platforms, you know, nowadays the platforms, it's opened up so much since, since we have social media and um, so we have to try and utilise this the best that we can. Hmm. How much of a concern is misinformation when it comes to dengue compared to what um, we've seen with COVID, for example, another type of infectious disease? So I think one, dengue doesn't have that huge impact compared to COVID, right? Um, it's, it's only endemic in our country, not worldwide. And I think when we've had outbreaks in the past, social media was probably not a big, uh, big thing either. So I don't think it's there's that much misinformation compared to COVID nineteen. There's always myths here and there. That's that's the usual thing, but not to the extent of what we saw in COVID nineteen. That you know, it was quite difficult to to counter this misinformation. But but we never know. You know, <laughs> numbers are going to go up again. People are all on social media nowadays. So we'll just have to wait and see and and. And, and try to mitigate any impact, negative impact especially. Mm. It's a good thing, but just not to let our guard down that, you yeah. know, if anything crops up, we can respond to it fairly quickly. Um, what about in terms of preventive measures? Because what a lot of people are familiar with is making sure that there's no stagnant water or, yeah. or you know, using a mosquito repellent when you go out. A lot of people think that fogging is, is a preventive method as well. But what, what do you think we've done well and what, um, you know, what can we introduce to better prevent transmission? So in, in any infectious disease, specifically in dengue, prevention is just to try and prevent the infection, uh, try to prevent transmission and also try to prevent people from getting severe disease. That's how I, I like to break it up, if you like. And and I think everyone has a role in all three aspects, right? Uh, be a, on a personal level, on a community level, and also, you know, more of a policy government kind of level as well. So in terms of preventing infection or, or transmission, you're, you're absolutely right. At the moment, uh, we, we don't have much there um, so far other than the usual fogging, vector control, trying to destroy breeding areas, uh, being more aware, especially during uh, dengue season. You know, um, I, I still see people going out with short sleeves or, or sleeveless, very short, uh, you know, at, at dawn and dusk, you know, uh, where we know that's when the, you know, the, the, the mosquito likes to fly around. And well, I hope they're wearing their mosquito repellent. So, but, you know, just being aware of those things uh, on your, for yourself as well. Um, and during the rainy season, making sure that you destroy any breeding areas. And what, what I like to do is when I see a patient, especially in the outpatient setting who has dengue, um, apart from giving advice on the medical side, but I also say, okay, what I want you to do now is to go home and look around your area and look for any containers because that's what people often forget to do. You know, just talk, just give 
paracetamol and whatnot, but don't talk to the to the to, to the family about looking at the area to prevent more more transmission. So on a um, you know, we talked about preventing uh, severe disease, so doctors being more uh, aware of the guidelines, how to manage patients and whatnot. But there are new things coming up, you know. Um, vector control is very, very difficult. These mosquitoes are very difficult to destroy, and they are the ones that, that, that carry the virus around. So we have to do something to try and reduce the burden of the mosquitoes, the usual fogging thing works to some extent but not very well not very good people close their doors the moment you start talking and <laughs> yes you know, if the, there's a mosquito inside that statement you know they all breed happily inside your house um so you know you, i'm sure you've heard about uh the release of obakia bacteria mm -hmm. so that's a very nice ingenious way of reducing the burden it has its pros and cons it's expensive uh there, there are you know, different methods of doing it. Uh, but I think in the long run, if we put in the investment there, the research there, and, and it's a it's a, something that's being done worldwide, I think it is one of the best promising um, innovative way to reduce the, um, uh, the, the breeding of the mosquitoes and thus reducing the, the factor for dengue virus. Um, with any infectious disease, having a vaccine would yes. be wonderful, right? Um, it's frustrating. Uh, in, in infectious disease, you know, we've been dealing with HIV for a long time. We still don't have a vaccine. We've mm -hmm. been dealing with dengue for a long time. We still don't have a vaccine. Then you see COVID within like nine months, you get a vaccine. So that's, that just shows you how complex dengue is. You know, despite it being there for years and years and years, we still don't have a vaccine. But, but it's looking promising, you know. We, we have lots of, you know, fantastic scientists, researchers out there um, who, who try to circumvent the problem with the dengue virus. And the reason it's so difficult to get a, a vaccine is because of the virus itself. It has many serotypes. Um, so if you want to develop a vaccine, you have to develop a vaccine that covers all the serotypes or at least the serotypes that causes the most severe disease. And trying to do that is, is quite difficult. And, you know, there have been some vaccines previously that's come out. And unfortunately, that though that particular vaccine had a problem after that because in some cases it caused more uh, severe disease in some populations. So looking into not just tackling the virus, but also the response of the patient towards the, the, the vaccine. But, you know, when you talk about prevention, it's all multifactorial. You need to have a wide range of things and vaccines would be one of them. Reducing Wolbachia would be one of them. So vector control and the usual fogging should still be there. Um, you, you hear about in some countries, they actually uh, spray insecticides on, on the walls where they know where the mosquitoes will will um, uh, you know go on and, and that sort of kills the mosquitoes as well. So there's many mm. things out there, yeah. It's quite um it's it's promising I guess that in the in the sense that because of how um long we've been facing this there are ingenious ways to yeah. overcome it we just need the I guess more interest more funding a lot of things as always right so that we we can one day see the end game in sight um but what can what about the role of communities in tackling in in prevention of dengue you know what do you think. Um, what would you advise communities to pay more attention to? 
communities, the the biggest role is for vector control, right? Um, we have to change our attitude and not think of it as it's not my it's not my job, it's not my responsibility. Um, it's the responsibility of the majlis bandara yoko bandaran or whatever, right? Nowadays, uh, the local authorities only come around to do fogging when there's a reported case, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have dengue, then you should go forward. Um, if you suspect you have dengue, you should go forward, get yourself tested, get yourself treated um, by your local physicians. And it's the responsibility of the physician to notify the disease, right? Uh, and once it's notified, then the, the local authorities will come around and try to do some preventive measures, right? Uh, but the moment, so, so that's your responsibility to report it to notify it and so on but at the same time you have to go back to your house and do the preventive measures you know look around your house so um, because most of the time if one person got gets dengue in your house most likely the whole house probably has been infected your neighbors may be infected so have that sense of responsibility not just towards your Self, your family, but also to your to your neighbors as well, um, your community as well. So we all know how to prevent it. We all know how to uh, destroy breeding sites and all that. But just going forward and wanting to do it and not think of it as this is not my responsibility. Um, that attitude, that behavior, just needs to change. And maybe this is ending the conversation on a bit of a more gloomy note, but what are your concerns of the impact on a community, um, on society as a whole, if we don't take those preventive steps and if the spread of dengue worsens in Malaysia? So, you know, with any disease, the more cases you have, the more money you're going to spend on it. So people might say, that's all right, I'm a taxpayer. <laughs> spend it on me, please, you know, but... You know, it has an impact on yourself. So the the chances of you getting dengue will obviously go up, right? Um, and at the same time, um, if if just like COVID, I think COVID is a good lesson for everyone, right? If we don't try to reduce transmission, control the transmission, it's going to be overwhelming. Uh, not just to the community, to the government, but more importantly, to the healthcare system, right? Um, we've had outbreaks, maybe not as bad as COVID uh, pandemic, but we've had outbreaks. I can still vividly remember how, you know, every few years I'll be like running around in the hospital looking for beds, taking over wards, just for dengue. If you go to bigger hospital, government hospital especially, um, you know, they get 50 admissions every day just for dengue. They open up dedicated wards, dengue wards, you know, and it's devastating. It's tiring uh, to, the, to the... So just like COVID, you know, when you have an influx of cases, you have too many cases that you need to see, it's tiring. And if you, if you have the same uh, number of healthcare professionals looking after these patients, we're going to miss things. Right, uh, we are humans. We're not robots, right? We're gonna miss things, and we won't be able to treat the patient as optimally as we would want to. So, we have to bring down the numbers. We have to control the numbers. We do expect 
um, outbreaks from time to time. That's quite normal, but it has to be a controlled outbreak where we are able to, to, to curb it, to stop it and not get any worse so that nobody gets overwhelmed, especially the healthcare system. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Sharifa. Thank you, Zuan. I've been speaking to Associate Professor Dr. Sharifa Farida Said Omar, Infectious Diseases Physician at University Malaya Medical Centre, about dengue and how and, and the basic steps that we can take to prevent um, dengue transmission and the importance of early detection as well. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.